Welcome back to Catechize, the podcast where we discuss the historic reform confessions and catechisms and sometimes other things like today. I'm your host, Josh. <laughs> With me, as always, is my co-host, St. Johannes the Divinus. Ah, uh, yes. We've, we've reverted to... I don't know. Is that Latin? Or... I mean, it's it's not Latin. <laughs> I mean, it's fake but it's Latin. Latin. That's what it's, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Latin sounding. Yeah, um, or it's not. I don't know. I, I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I oddly don't know Latin. So <laughs> I do want to learn Latin. I feel like I should know Latin. Honestly, I wouldn't hate learning Latin because I think there would be. I don't know. You know, like I think there would be some benefit to it for church history and stuff like that, but. Your boy's just not going to learn that right now. It's is Latin on Duolingo? Let's let's check. Give it a I'll, give it a gander. I'll check later. But oh, by by the end, of, that's that's today's episode's question: Is Latin on Duolingo? <laughs> we do a question of the day every episode. We've never done it before, but we are doing it today. <laughs> we we always do it first time ever. Um, <laughs> nice. This is really well, cool thing we do. Yeah. Well, anyway, so Latin. That's not well, what we're Welsh be is on about there. today. No, it really? is not. Latin is on there. Nice. Anyways. Nice. Um, end of the episode. There it is. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. So today we are talking about slavery in the Bible particularly. We'll be looking at the Old Testament slave laws. Um, mm. and, and then I'll give you a couple other nuanced angles that we're going to be coming at when I give the uh, the brief outline. But um, that that is the that is the topic of the day and kind of the the hope of this is um, kind of twofold that this would be an apologetic um, for the goodness of the law. So we just spent a lot of time in God's law and, and yeah. it's really easy to see why it is good for God to say, don't murder, don't covet, uh, honor your father and mother. Um, even if we don't like that one, we get why it's good. Yeah. Um, but we want to see the goodness of the entirety of God's law. Uh, and we want to, um, to not be ashamed of things that are in it. And and so the next three things actually that we talk about are things that are, are more um, controversial, slavery uh, and then homosexuality and then Marxism. Um, because oh, the, man. <laughs> the law, yeah, the, God's law is, does have stuff to say about all of these. And for drastically various reasons, um, yeah. what God's word says about those things is um, disliked and often mis... Well, variously misunderstood by people um and so we again we just want to first defend god's law to to ourselves and to this to you listener so that you would not be i guess scandalized by things that are taught in the bible uh and then also enable you to do the same when you are challenged how can you believe a, a a holy text that 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 promotes slavery um that that's a really hard challenge to be leveled against you regarding the Bible, particularly if you haven't um, really thought about those passages before, Um, especially if you didn't realize they were there and then you're like, no, it doesn't. And then you go to the old Testament and see that it does have laws that teach slavery. Uh, That can be devastating. Yeah. And so we want to kind of work against that. And then also uh, we want to, sorry, I'll go, I'll let you in one second. Um, we also want to show how slave laws, as all things in the scripture, um, point to Christ and draw us to him in the gospel. Um, uh, uh, they really, truly do. So those yeah. are the goals. No, that's good. I was I was going to add to the first goal. I think one helpful thing also in, in 
explains partly why we're focusing on the Old Testament here is because I think it's very common to sort of, especially when someone's challenging the Bible, to sort of, you know, like, all right, the Old Testament can take a hit here. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, you know, I'm not talking, I'm not going to argue from the Old Testament. Yeah, that stuff changed. Oh, yeah. Um, Where I'm talking about the New Testament and, and the point me and Josh want to emphasize also is you can't really do that if you're, you know, if you're a firm Bible believing Christian, the, and you don't need to do that to defend your point. It's not like the, uh, the Old Testament gets jettisoned in right. debate. Um, yeah, the quickest, sorry. Yeah, now nah, you're good. Go ahead. I was just going to, you're right. The quickest apologetic is often just to, to throw the Old Testament under the bus and dismiss it. Um, yeah. Which is problematic and also um it 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 also then kind of harms your both understanding of and benefiting from the whole of god's word yeah old testament good too (laughs) (laughs) yeah both me and josh are are pretty uh pretty big old testament fans so uh we support we surely do. <laughs> We're supporters. Us and Jesus, man. we all support the Old yeah. Testament, yeah. so you should too. <laughs> Let's not make this sound too arrogant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Maybe they won't know we're joking. Um, uh, but yeah, we do appreciate the, the two-thirds of God's word. Um, yeah, whatever. We're sounding stupid now. So, yeah. so let's introduce that. this episode and get going. Good gracious. So the outline of what we're going to do today is we'll, it will, we'll introduce the discussion, which we kind of already did. Uh, and that, that introduction will include some, some preliminary qualifications where we kind of make some or establish some ground rules, some biblical ground rules, not like our own <laughs> made up ground um, rules <laughs> that 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 or distinctions or qualifications that kind of help understand in this conversation um and then we'll go through the old testament slave laws and then we will uh the then we will um make the connections from the slavery to the gospel and, and show the typology there and also bring in some new testament conversations briefly and and talk about the the application or usefulness of these laws today and then we'll close with some closing thoughts what an idea um that's great that you uh <laughs> you included that shut up <laughs> um but yeah that's so enough so here we go introducing the the topic um again focusing on the old testament laws basically um there are laws in the old testament where god governs um where God governs things in a broken world. Um, and yeah. one of the examples of that are the slave laws. Um, God also uh, protects second wives. There are there are laws where um, God's like, if you have a second wife, blah, 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 blah. Um, that's not a condoning of having a second wife. It is God yeah. saying, because you're a sinner and do things that I elsewhere tell you to not do, this is how you deal with that after you've made the mistake um jesus having laws about sorry i was just gonna say jesus talks about that himself where he talks you know um the pharisees bring him a sort of scenario and jesus and jesus basically like moses told you that because of your uh your hard hearts hard hearts and basically this is just this is a this is a functional way to keep things from getting worse when you inevitably do sin is sort of the idea there, but it's not the intended, like 
oh this it's is not the scenario yeah right and so those laws are always just and 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 that concept makes sense generally because having laws about what happens to a murderer does not condone murder like yeah. so having laws that govern a an a, a, a not ideal thing um does not mean that that not ideal thing is a is a good now slavery kind of fits in that category in the old testament um these slave laws um govern how israel is to have slaves in a world where slaves are a necessary piece of society they, they like to yeah so it governs this piece of society that that exists in the ancient world with that being yeah. said um what we'll see in our study is that slavery the laws uh, of slavery in the in the mosaic law as given by god um are so fundamentally and drastically different from every iteration of human slavery from the very first through the ones around Moses to uh, the slavery practiced even today. The, the Mosaic slave laws are wholly different. Um, and they aren't, the, the slavery that, that is taught and promoted in those laws is just. Um, now we'll get into other qualifications and distinctions just because it's just back then and just now doesn't mean we ought to have slaves now. We should not, but we'll get to that at the end category um, yeah. where we discuss the gospel. But these laws are just and they are good. And so what we want to see is how is it that laws that govern and even uh, implement slavery, how can those possibly be just? And and how can we defend the justice of God's word and the goodness of every single command that God gave, um, even ones that sound so unwelcome to our ears? Yeah. And uh, that, so that's one qualification. We're going to be looking at how these laws that existed um, for a people in a specific time are truly just. Uh, we're also going to be looking at um, how uh, the use of these laws, or the one other distinction or qualification is that the use of these laws in no way can be used to implement slavery or justify or defend any form of other human slavery. Um, uh, in the same way that the laws about the conquest in Deuteronomy and in Joshua cannot tell cannot be used by people today to say we're going to go wage a holy war, um, that's an, that's an <laughs> yeah. abuse of those passages. In the same way, these cannot be used to reinstitute a form of slavery. Um, that's a branch of uh, theonomy um, where God's law, the the Mosaic law, is the literal law of the land. That's a very specific theological thing we should all follow god's law but re-implementing mosaic law as the law of the land is bad uh because it's been fulfilled in christ yeah and, I, I think we did a heresy of the week on theonomy at some yeah, point didn't we, we? definitely we definitely addressed it yeah basically it's just you know you you take the old testament law and you're like this whole thing is the exact way we should live today right and so you you know you're looking for you know maybe on the extreme end you're looking for a conquest of you know the holy land or of people who are non-christians and then reinstituting the uh the old testament slave laws stuff like that theonomy not not great capital t theonomy yes yeah that's helpful lowercase t theonomy is good we should we should we should follow god's law 
yeah. generally. Anyways, see the justice and goodness of these laws. Understand them in context. Um, see that they uh, do not support any other form of slavery and ought not to be re-implemented um, uh, to, to bring back slavery today. They, they, they cannot and do not justify modern or other forms of slavery throughout history. Uh, yeah. And then finally, some specific qualifications that help us to understand these laws. Um, first is that um, when you when we look at these laws, one thing that's important to understand is that the, the Hebrew slave laws, the Mosaic slave laws, basically treat slaves, and slaves are viewed and understood to be adult children. And that's helpful mm. because slaves do have less rights, and slaves can be punished corporally they can have corporal punishment done on them like hitting them um uh, that's allowed in the bible um but those are not concepts that that um otherwise bother us because everyone acknowledges that having less rights does not implicitly mean that you are treated as less human um because uh everyone who's under 16 does not have the right to drive. They can't drive. Everyone who's under 18 mm. uh, cannot vote, uh, cannot do other things. Everyone who's under 21 cannot drink alcohol or buy alcohol or cigarettes and things like that. And so to yeah. have less rights is not only dehumanizing. Um, in every iteration of slavery other than the Hebrew slave laws, it is done in a way that does dehumanize. But the mm. Old Testament slave laws, the Hebrew slave laws, the slaves have less rights, um, but it is as those slaves are viewed as adult children, not as subhuman. Uh, and we'll see that distinction that they are treated as adult children rather than subhuman when we look at the specifics of that, of the laws. Um, and so to be treated as an adult children means you have less rights because you've become a slave for what we will see to be just reasons. Uh, and having those less rights does not make you um, subhuman, but it makes you treated yeah. like a child, basically. And, and that includes corporal punishment. Um, like, the Bible is very pro-spanking children. Um, and, and, and slaves as adult children can be subjected to that. And there are also laws that say, hey, if you injure that slave, you get punished. And so these slaves have rights. Um, that's one of the other distinctions between the Hebrew slaves and other slave systems is that they have rights. Um, and, and again, in the same way that there are laws about murder, uh, and those laws don't mean that murder is good, that they, they mean if this is the kind of murder that happened, this is the punishment that happens. Um, there are laws that say like, if you beat your slave and they're within an inch of their life, but they don't die, then, then, then you get off. But if, uh, if they die or if they, whatever, uh, if they die then you can be put to death that doesn't mean that you're that the punishment you can level against slaves is to beat them within an inch of their lives that means if you did this bad thing there's a distinction between what happens to you if they do die and if they don't um it's it's making a distinction in the judgment level to you who injured your slave not a uh distinction that says not a, you can, when you do this and it's it, totally okay right yeah. not a it's okay to beat your slave as long as you don't kill them that's not true yeah um, and super quick just just a point of maybe a little bit of clarification when we say adult children we're not you know it's not in like a weird sense it basically just means they're an adult but they're treated as a child like their rights are equivalent to a child in the family 
Yeah, um, yeah, good, yeah. good, good distinction. So, um, yeah, that's good. Uh, and, and so we're not going to be reading every single slave law. That would be impossible to do in a <laughs> in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, <laughs> but um, understanding the slave laws we discuss helps you to go then when you see them and encounter them in scripture to be like, oh, this must fit into this category of thing and so yeah it's it's cool or at least i understand it um yeah and uh, and, and yeah well, <laughs> so one cool. of the also <laughs> super fun so yeah. one of the things is this in the slave laws regarding the corporal punishment of slaves who are who are adults who have the rights of children is that um you can punish them corporately the bible says spare the rod spoil the child like spankings are good and this is where we see what what the spirit of eye for eye, tooth for tooth is. Um, if mm. a if an owner beats the slave and they like lose an eye, that slave goes free. That's eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It's not slave gets to poke out owner's eye because what that eye for eye thing means is that the punishment fits the crime. Yeah, and so the 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 crime of of injuring your slave is that the slave gets to go free. We'll get there. Well, actually, that's that's kind of all we'll do on that one. <laughs> yeah. Now, but, I I've always found that to be interesting when I've you know been reading through some of the Old Testament laws. There is this sense of like, you can't really do that stuff to your slave and expect to keep them as your slave. Right. And there's there's a like an anti abuse aspect of of you know having the slave, and if you're doing that to them, you'll lose them. Yeah. Which. Which distinguishes, uh, again, the Hebrew slave laws from other slave laws because in the Hebrew system, slaves have rights um, and, the, and, and that's not a thing that other slaves have. Yeah. So they can be treated as property and garbage because they're viewed as property and garbage, whereas here they're viewed as children, basically. Yeah, one last clarification, I guess, uh, and one credit where credit is due, that what we're going to see, again, at that in that second-to-last section, most clearly in that second-to-last section, but we'll see it throughout the whole episode, is that there are kind of two goals of the Hebrew slave system. One is it's the goal, one goal of the Hebrew slave system is to see justice done. You'll see that with most of the types of slavery. And the other goal is to, to take people who for one reason or another ha- find themselves as slaves and to cultivate those individuals into becoming covenant-keeping Israelites. The goal of the slave system is to make people who for one reason or another have become enslaved into covenant-keeping Israelites. That's the goal. The goal of slavery mm-hmm. is to make those enslaved desire freedom and desire a freedom the freedom of of covenant keeping Jews, um, mm. because of the the goodness of that, um, and so there, there there's kind of a picture of when you are a slave, you are um, not you're either outside of the covenant people or you are not enjoying the benefits of the covenant people, um, and so it's a picture of being separated from God and His people um, that ought that is meant to draw this the enslaved in and cultivate in them a desire for freedom and train them so that they would be covenant keeping israelites yeah um and we'll see that throughout and we'll see that culminate in the gospel later at the end but with all that being said before we look into the slave laws uh credit where credit's due there is a guy named aaron ventura who works for um, collegiate reform fellowship uh and, and he 
uh, he did a video on this. Um, don't agree with him entirely, specifically on his treatment of the apl- applicability of these laws to today. We take it, we diverge a little bit on that, but mm. his video is very good, and it kind of. Um, when I first started researching slave laws to teach it for my Old Testament class, he was a good resource um, for me. So I want to give credit because he kind of he kind of gathered all of the the information that makes the discussion possible in a really yeah helpful way. And so he, uh, I want to give it, Aaron it, a quick shout out. Well, yeah, it's good to cite your sources. He he did a lot of the gathering of the biblical evidence that makes yeah. the discussion possible. So that's fair. This preliminary bit has been super long. It'll inevitably trim down, but right now it's like twenty four minutes. So <laughs> dang. Let's uh, let's get into the actual meat and bones. Meat and bones. A meat, meat. And potatoes. Meat and potatoes. Maybe. Yeah, that's that's better than meat and bones. <laughs> so, explanation of the slave laws. Uh, basically, what we're going to look at is that in the Old Testament there are four kinds of slave, um, mm. and the four kinds of slave differ. Um, in their levels of freedom, we'll start with the least free, go to the most free, and and this is the order that 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 Aaron goes in, which is why I credited him. But I thought yeah. I found it a helpful order. Um, and uh, the key distinctions in each is how does this, how does a person, how does this type of slave become a slave? What is slavery like for that type of slave? And then how is that type of slave freed? Those are the the three big questions that help us understand each type of slavery. I'll tell you yeah. what they are individually, uh, and, and immediately, and then we'll go through each one. So the yeah. least free slave is a Gentile slave, someone who is a Gentile slave owned by a Hebrew. This type of slave is is kind of initially or most focusedly highlighted in Leviticus 25, 44 through 47. The next least free, the second least free, or the third most free is the Hebrew criminal slave. Um, mm. This is found in Exodus 22, 1 through 13. Uh, and, and the uh, second freest slave is the Hebrew Jubilee bondservant, um, which is found in Leviticus 25, 39 through 43. And then uh, the most free is the Hebrew sabbatical bondservant, which is found in both Exodus 21, 1 through 11, and Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 19. Um, mm. And there's a lot of Old Testament background stuff we're going to give you to make sense of these different types of slave. But from least free to most free, Gentile, Hebrew criminal, Hebrew jubilee, Hebrew sabbatical. And any slave law that you read governs a slave who fits into one of those four categories which are outlined in those four passages initially yeah and that's helpful i hadn't i had never heard the the four broken down that way before yeah I, oh man a, a couple years ago when i first started researching this for class it, it was like oh this is way this is way more easy to manage yeah <laughs> and so ow i put my put my hand on the desk I'm fine. Um, <laughs> uh, let's throw up a quick prayer for Josh's hand. As okay, it, uh, stop it. Sorry. Okay. So, <laughs> sorry. With, these var- this, with these various types, it's really clear, which we'll get to, how each of the Hebrew slaves becomes a slave. Um, and we'll see that, again, if we're going to argue that these are just, how someone becomes a slave must be just, how they're treated yeah. as a slave must be just, and they must be justly freed according to the law in order for it to be just. And we'll look at... Uh, those three things with all four the gentile Mm. slave it's a little 
it's not as definitive and specific how they could become a slave. Uh, so, so I'll outline some options to make some distinctions. The Gentile slave could become a slave by selling themselves into slavery. Uh, they could mm. become a slave by being bought, and they could become a slave as a result of war. Like they're if they're conquest, if they are defeated in war, um, yeah. they they could become a slave. One way that they cannot become a slave and that no Hebrew could become a slave either uh, is what the Bible calls man-stealing. You are not allowed to go to a person and kidnap them and make them your slave or sell them as a slave. Mm. Um, uh, If you are a man-stealer, if you capture and sell someone, if you kidnap someone for the sake of making them a slave or selling them as a slave, you can justly be put to death. And so all of the the slaves of the Atlantic slave trade, whether they be ones that came to the British Empire or to the States or to the Caribbean or whatever, they were all stolen. <laughs> and so yeah. right, right off the bat, unjust, wicked and cruel. Um, and the Bible condemns that kind of slavery with death. So that's, I think, a helpful distinction. Yeah. And um, I think that similarly, human trafficking today likely falls in that category where you know, absolutely coerced and forced into it. Absolutely. That so. that category among many other violations uh, of, of what is good. <laughs> yes. <true>. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, the, already that's a distinction um, between Hebrew slavery. Now, the most common and most typical way that a Gentile slave would become a slave is if they were defeated in war. Uh, and this yeah. this is basically them becoming a slave is the best thing for them because the alternatives uh, in the ancient world are after you conquer a city – you either enslave the people who are left, kill them, or uh, or you just leave them in the ruins of their city where they will surely die. And so enslaving them is ultimately for their good, especially for them to be brought into a Hebrew household where by the kind of federal covenant view of the thing, they are treated like better than regular Gentiles because they are part of the household of a, of a Jew. They're not a member of the covenant per se, uh, but they're, they're also kind of, <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> because if you look when Abraham circumcises his family, he circumcises his household, your manservant included. And, and so there is a, a special way that a Gentile slave would be cut off from the rest of the world that is good for them. But and also, well, we'll see. So Gentile slaves most most often and most likely were were slaves because they got conquered. But they could also sell themselves into slavery if they were in need. Unlike every form of Hebrew slave, a Gentile slave could be kept permanently. They they did not. They were not required by the Mosaic law to be freed at a certain point. They're mm-hmm. the only slave where that applies. They could be a slave for their whole life, and they weren't. They didn't have to be freed, but they could be. They could be freed by the will of their master their master could just say hey you're a pretty neat guy or girl i'm gonna free you (laughs) um they could be adopted where the master said um i've grown fond of you or uh whatever other reason and i don't have a son to inherit my land and so uh, i'm going to free you uh and i'm not just going to free you i'm going to adopt you and make you my inheritor and you will inherit land in israel uh with god's promised people um, as my now son. Wasn't that, we don't know he was a Gentile slave necessarily, but Abraham's, um, before Abraham had Isaac, there he basically believed that, you know, when he died, since he had no son. Eleazar his, of Damascus. Yeah, his um, 
his servant Eliezer of Damascus would be the one who basically inherits his uh, everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not sure if he was a slave or if he was just a, like a nephew or whatever. But oh, okay. Um, Maybe he was. I might be mixing stuff up. For some no, reason. you're I good. But but either either way, that that gives the picture that like people who aren't your direct children can be treated as your direct children. Yes. And that includes yeah. Gentile former slaves. Um and uh. And that could also happen where, like, the Gentiles, like, hey, I, I really like like being in your household. I want to be a son of this family. And the the master could be like, yeah, I'm down. Um, yeah. And then adopts him into his family. Yeah, Gentile slave, usually conquered in war. Sometimes they would sell themselves. Um, they were not required to be freed, but the law, uh, the the Mosaic law gives outlines how they might be freed and adopted and given an inheritance in Israel. And again, yeah. that's what the slave laws are meant to do. They're meant to take these Gentile slaves, ha have them see the the way that they are are not free. Uh, it's a picture of how things not, ought not be um, and make them desire their freedom as a member of God's covenant people, which points to the last way they could be freed, which I was saving for the point where we transitioned, which was that they could convert. Um, if a Gentile slave converts to the worship of the one true God, they are treated as a Jubilee bondservant. Um, mm. So upon their conversion, they instantly become a Jubilee bondservant and are freed according to those laws, which we'll look at later. And so again, slavery is meant to motivate the Gentile to want to be a part of God's people, to desire their freedom as a member of God's covenant people. Yeah, so we talked about the four categories of slavery. If a Gentile becomes a, you know, follower of Yahweh, they move up two categories. <laughs> if that if that helps. Um and and it, it's I mean, it I know someone's probably thinking, "Oh, that's like coercing to conversion." But they're not required to. It's just Right. Yeah. 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 It's just good for them if they do. And, you know, Basically, this is a lot better than saying whether or not you convert, you're always going to be a slave. You right. Know, it um, it's a big upgrade from that to basically say if you are part of the people of God, by default, you know, you 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 can't be a permanent slave. Right. Yeah. Cool. Next. Next. Next is the Hebrew criminal slave, which again was in Exodus twenty two one through thirteen. In the ancient Israel, there's no such thing as jail. Violent crimes have the death penalty or or being beaten pretty badly. Um, like if you yeah. if if you beat someone or rape someone, you deserve death or severe physical punishment and fines. Mm -hmm. But that leaves the question: like, what happens to all of these other crimes that would would otherwise land someone in jail? Um, and we'll talk about this. Well, yeah, this this is a challenge to our prison system, which is just thoroughly messed up and not just in so many ways. Um, but we'll mm -hmm. get there later. So, a Hebrew criminal slave was what happened to you basically if you committed a crime that did not result in the death penalty or or beating or being fined. And so. Um, Theft is the most clear example, but there are things similar-ish to theft that this would still yeah. apply to. But basically, the the law uh, in, in the Hebrew system is if you steal a thing, you owe back what you stole, and then you owe back what you stole a second time, both to repay what was lost and to, to suffer punishment for the crime. So you owe back twofold. And so mm. if I steal a car, 
I owe two cars or twice the value of the car I stole. Yeah. And if I am not able to pay back that debt, if I'm not able to give two cars or to give two times the price of a car, the car that I stole, then I am enslaved to the person who I stole from until my labor pays off my debt to them. Yeah. And so you are made a slave by committing a crime and you are freed as soon as your debt to your master is paid. And you could also be sold. So like, let's say I, I steal John's car. I can't pay him back. He doesn't need a slave. He sells me to his neighbor. I'm his neighbor's slave. He sells me to his neighbor for the price that I owe him. And I am freed mm. by his neighbor when I work off that debt. And so even if you're sold amongst Hebrews, which is all you can, you can't be sold ex- externally. Yeah. Um, if, even if I'm sold amongst Hebrews, I'm still freed as soon as the debt that I incurred by stealing the thing is paid. And um, basically what we see here uh, is, is a more just justice system. The example that I think is used in the video, but is also one that I've used maybe differently. Let's say that someone steals a Camry that's worth... I don't know, $20,000 for the sake of easy math, $15,000. Yeah. <laughs> we're not getting, we're not getting a brand new Camry here. Yeah. N- um, so, never. So, so let's say someone steals a, a, a relatively nice new Camry that's worth $15,000. That means they owe their, the one that they have, that they stole from $30,000. Um, they only have five. So they pay back $5,000. Um, and now they owe $25,000. Paying back twenty five thousand dollars would would basically take like half of a year of of labor because like if you look at the average wage um, and the average amount like it would take we're, we're somewhere today right right every everything is today in yeah, today's yeah. understanding um, yeah. it would take base between one between six months and like ten months to pay back twenty five thousand uh, dollars because yeah. your labor was like valued at what a day's labor was worth which was pretty consistent especially in israel if you compare that so also so i i work for six to ten months for the person i stole from i have the dignity of paying back what i owed um uh, my master who i stole from originally he has the dignity of being restored what was lost to him twofold which is justice uh, as defined by the bible um and when i pay back my debt that's it we're good. I have been reconciled to this man who I stole from, and I leave to go be a a member of society again. Yeah. Compare that to today. Uh, Grand Theft Auto is like years of prison, sometimes like one or two, but it can be up to a lot, depending on if you like are armed or whatever, like yeah. seven or 12 uh, years. I used to remember off the top of my head, but it's, it's years. <laughs> yeah. um, and... Uh, the person you stole from is not restored by you. At best, they get something relatively equal to their value by insurance, uh, but you do not restore to them what you stole, and they are they are likely not really restored the value of what they lost, at least not fully. Um, yeah. And then when you do pay back your debt, you're not paying back a debt to a person that you've wronged. You're paying back this nebulous, vague debt to quote-unquote society. So some, So society... Um, you're paying your debt to society by being in jail. You being in jail doesn't benefit society in any way, and society was not wronged in any way by you stealing Joe's car. Um, Joe was wronged, 
And so yeah. there's no restoration and reconciliation between the wronger and the wrongee. Um, there is a nebulous, ambiguous debt that is being paid, and it's a debt that is exorbitantly greater than what is actually owed. You are in prison for stealing a car far longer than you sh- than you would be if you were just paying back what you stole times two. And on top yeah. of that, when you are released, you are released with a criminal record, and your re-inclusion into society is much more difficult. Um, there, there is no f- reconciliation, forgiveness, and there is a stain on your record uh, that makes you an outcast. The, the Hebrew criminal slave system is much more just because the person who committed the wrong pays the price and they pay it to the person that they wronged and so the person who is harmed yeah. is restored and once restoration happens the issue is closed and put away uh, and that person is brought back into society as an equal um a, a, and uh valued member um who has served what what justice demands and can now be welcomed back um it's restorative it's reconciliatory uh and it is just in terms of its uh duration and sentencing yeah i think that's a great point i yeah when you think about when you compare the two the the biblical one is it's so much more simple and direct and you know fixes what needs to be fixed but doesn't you know destroy the life of the criminal and also simultaneously repays the uh repays the, the one who's, who's wrong. wrong yeah who was wronged and so i i don't know how this is an example of one of those things where it's like we're not necessarily saying you know we or we're not saying at all that we need to get the old slave system back up and that's better but we are we are saying there is a clear you know point about like restitution and writing the wrong that you've committed in the Bible that we we aren't really replicating today yeah. in yeah. our legal system. In this our, is like, clearly, judicial system. This is clearly more just. And we'll return to that exact idea at the end. Yeah. Um yeah. So Hebrew that's Hebrew criminal slave. Number now, three. For, for the next two, there are two biblical distinctions. That need to be made, yeah. Uh, We need to explain what the Jubilee year and sabbatical years were, and we need to explain the kind of loans that the Old Testament offered. First, the loans. Um, There are two kinds of loans. You could have a non-charity loan or a charity loan. A non-charity loan is basically me going to John and saying, hey, John, I want to start a taco truck. Can you give me $50,000 to buy the truck and some materials? Um, and oh, I'll pay yeah. you, I'll pay you back in two years. And he would. Now there's no, you cannot charge interest between God's people in according to the law. So I owe John $50,000 in two years because he gave me $50,000 for a business venture. So non-charity yeah. loans are loans given that are not kind of necessary. Uh, yeah. A charity loan is, Hey John, I need $500 to feed my family. Um, I cannot afford food uh, this, this month. Can can um can you give me five hundred dollars? I'll pay you back in six months. And then again, yes. So charity loan is a loan. Sometimes you can just give charity, but if you if you work it out with a person that it's a loan given for charity reasons, that must be paid back. And a business loan or a non-charity loan is a loan that that was given not out of necessity but out of request. Um, yeah. Uh, and so those are two different kinds of loan: the non-charity loan and the charity loan, which will 
we'll go back to those in a moment. And the other distinction is the Jubilee year and the sabbatical year. Um, the Sabbath cycle in Israel was not just a weekly thing where you had the Sabbath on the seventh day, but it was something that was repeated on a grander scale as well with the Sabbath year, which was every seventh year, um, and the Jubilee year, which was every like 50th year. It was the seventh seven. Yeah. Um, and and so these years were years uh, that looked forward to what life in the world made new would be like. And to various levels, the Sabbath, the Sabbath year, because it happened less, more frequently, had, was was lesser. Um, it was like you would rest. That you there in both of them, there are various forms of resting from work, um, celebrations, uh, forgiveness of debts, freedom of slaves, which we'll see here. Um, and like resting the land from crops and things like yeah. that, resting your animals. The Jubilee year was basically like a year off for all of Israel where there was, <laughs> it was like festival and celebration and good times. Um, and tragically, there is no evidence that Israel ever practiced the Jubilee year. Um, even once. Yeah. Even once. Um, I, and then the Sabbath year was that to a lesser extent. John, do you want to give us more specification on what those are? Briefly, I was just going to say, it's sort of like, a, uh, especially the year of Jubilee, is is sort of like a full reset on like everything in Israel. So, you know, debts, slavery, all of these things are kind of turned back. Um and it kind of resets everything that's going on with the people of God. And it's really like it's it is frustrating that we never see it practiced in the Bible even once. It's yeah, it's one of the greatest things God gave his people. And in the same yeah. way that we don't enjoy the Sabbath because we're stupid, um, <laughs> they didn't enjoy the Jubilee because uh, they are also stupid. That's so true. It's it's like these things that God gives basically as gifts, you know, of rest and of um e- recuperation. We we generally, you know, the Israelites generally sort of ignored, and we similarly don't appreciate today at all either. Well, surely, you know, right? God knows I'm busy, and I. Uh, it's like, well, He does, but He doesn't want you to be. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So. So we have the Hebrew, we have the Jubilee year, the Sabbath year, and you have the non-charity loan and the charity loan. Yeah. Um, and these govern. The, the last two categories of slaves. So the, the second most free was the Hebrew Jubilee bondservant, which is seen in Leviticus 25, 39 through 43. Um, this type of bondservant was someone who was enslaved because they defaulted. They failed to pay back a non-charity loan. Um, so I, I borrow $50,000 from John for a taco truck. I don't pay him back. I become his Hebrew Jubilee bondservant. Um, mm. And the and what that means is that I am John's bondservant until the year of Jubilee. And when the year of Jubilee comes, no matter what, I am free. Now, yeah. usually loans were determined by how far away the Jubilee year was. Like you wouldn't give a loan of a million dollars away the day before <laughs> the Jubilee year hits. Um, yeah. uh, and um, you, you, that's, you don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so th- th- they're generally determined by how far away the Jubilee or Sabbath years were. But um, w- when the Jubilee year comes, regardless of, uh, of anything, I am now free. So I become a slave, a Jubilee, Hebrew Jubilee bondservant, because I borrowed money for non-charity reasons and I couldn't pay them back. Yeah. And, I am a, I, and I am freed, no questions, when the Jubilee year comes. Now, um, 
I could also put up rather than myself, I could put up uh, a, a child or my family's land as part of uh, as part of the the loan. And um, if I defaulted, then my my child would become John's servant, slave, bond servant, whatever. <laughs> Um, or uh, my land would become his, and all that means, and, and and this is what it looks like to be that kind of slave. You you are treated as a hired servant. You are paid a wage, and you live at your own home. And so basically, what if I'm selling myself for, or or my child to John? What I'm saying is, if I don't pay you back, then me or my eldest son will will be your will 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 work for you. Or, or my land will give its profits to you until yeah. the jubilee year. And, and again, you you are paid money. You live in your own home, um, and you are treated as uh, not just a child, as the Hebrew as the laws dictate, um, but you're treated as a hired worker. Um, and so, if you default on a a, a business or non charity loan, you or a child or your land give your profits to the person who owns you uh, until the year of Jubilee. Uh, it's it's kind of like having a job. The next yeah. one is like having a job. This one's kind of like having a job. So again, you're freed no matter what at the Jubilee year. You live at home. You're treated like a worker and you're paid a wage. Uh, and this happens if you don't pay back a um, a charity loan or a non-charity loan. A non-charity loan. Yeah. Um, Hebrew bond servant, Hebrew Jubilee bond servant makes sense? Yep. Yeah, and then finally the Hebrew sabbatical bond servant. Um, this is every seven years, and so it, it's it, it, uh, you are freed when the Sabbath year comes. Um, and this is mm. if you defaulted on or did not pay back a um, a charity loan. So I asked John for money to feed my starving family. He does. I can't pay him back. That means that I am a Hebrew sabbatical bond servant um, until the year of Sabbath. Um, and if I'm a Hebrew sabbatical bond servant, then um, I the same rules of the Jubilee slave apply. I, I live at home. I'm paid a wage. I'm treated as a hired hand. But on mm. top of that, when I am freed, um, any excess that I have made in my owner's service is given to me. And any tools I have acquired or things I have acquired along the job are also given to me. So let's mm. say John's a carpenter and I work for him. And while I work for him for these three years, I get a drill and a saw and a screwdriver and a belt. Um, when I am freed, though, I take those with me. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this is literally having a job. You get paid and the stuff <laughs> you get with that job, you get to keep. Um, it, it. I think you can almost look at it like, all right. You can't, let's say you can't, you know, like you said, it's a charity loan. Let's say you can't afford to take care of your family um, at, at that particular time. It's almost equivalent to just going to, you know, someone and being like, hey, I can't take care of my family. Can we work for you un- for the, um, until the sabbatical year as your servants and you <laughs> you feed us <laughs> and yeah. then we'll we're free? Yeah, um, it is. It's an incredibly dignifying thing that that dignifies the person in need, whether they be in need because of poverty or because they they failed a business venture. It dignifies that person by enabling them to to earn a wage for themselves and pay back what they owe. And also for any of those slaves, it, the longest you could be a Hebrew Sabbath slave is seven years, but your owner could ma- and master could free you at any point. They could say, you know what, one this this one month has been great. 
Um, go free. You're fine. Um, yeah. The Jubilee bondservant. The longest you could be a slave is 49 years. But you can be freed whenever. Um, whenever your master wants. The Hebrew criminal slave was required to pay back their debt. But let's say they paid back half of it. Their owner, their master could be like, we're good. You can go free. Um, yeah. and, and even though the Gentile slave was never required to be freed, their master could free them whenever they wanted. That's an additional way you could become free. Um, yeah. And again, all of these, they, they became slaves for just reasons, whether they were conquered in war or sold themselves into slavery um, or because they committed a nonviolent crime or because they defaulted on one kind of loan or another. Um, all of them are treated justly as slaves. Um, the worse they are treated as as adults who are viewed as children um, and the best they are treated as basically someone with a job who works for you, an employee. Um, yeah. Uh, and then there are uh, there no one can ever be enslaved longer than is just. Um, and with all of these, again, the, the idea is to motivate and drive people to being covenant keeping people to mo to motivate Gentiles to want to be a free member of God's covenant people to motivate Hebrew criminals to want to not be criminals anymore. Criminals are punished so that they would stop doing crimes. Um, and then the Jubilee and sabbatical bond servants is meant to train you in working in a way that, that, uh, that, enables you to not incur debt um, and to pay back the debts that you have uh, so that you might remain a free functioning member of the covenant people of God. Um, and so all of these are meant to drive the slave to desire freedom and to work for and live in a way that does not result in them being enslaved anymore or again. Yeah. Um, and quick, quick point just about the Gentile one that I, you know, this, this might be well known, but I think it's helpful to reiterate um, what's cool here is that, you know, you mentioned like conversion. Um, when you become a, a Jew, you, um, you basically are no longer that permanent slave because you can never enslave a fellow Hebrew, um, or a fellow believer in, you know, follower of Yahweh for, you know, indefinitely like that. And it's, what's cool here is basically that, um, the uh, to be part of the people of God is not about the ethnicity of the person; it's about their belief. And so, basically, you become a you know part of the people of God. You know whether you were dragged here from Assyria or not, like to the you, to Israel. I mean, <laughs> but like you become part of the uh, people of God by you know circumcision and uh, basically you know a form of conversion. And so you are therefore seen as an equal member. You're not like a second class follower of God or something like that. You're part of the people of God. You're, you're a slave, but you're still part of the people of God and you're treated as such, which I think is a cool sort of, it's like a grafting in, if you yeah. will. Yeah. And um, yeah, very good. And then this, which is exactly, which ties back into the kind of concluding part of this is that, the, you can see, I think, implicitly that these slave laws exist for their own abolition. Um, the goal is that every Gentile would convert and become a faithful member of God's people. The goal is that criminals would stop stealing things. The goal is that, that people um, would repay their debts in a way that enables them to not need to take out loans anymore. Um, the goal is to 
the goal of these, if these slave laws were followed faithfully by Israel, which we know they weren't, Solomon and <laughs> Rehoboam at least were condemned, uh, inclu- or, and also Zedekiah, were all condemned for unjust forms of slavery. They enslaved mm. their people not according to these laws. But yeah. if these laws were kept, then over time there would be no more slaves. The goal of these yeah. slave laws is their own abolition, which again makes them unique because every other slave system exists for its own perpetuation. But the slave laws of the Hebrew Bible exist to stop existing because they are, they all exist to train and take people who are slaves and make them to desire freedom uh, and, and, and enable them to live fruitfully as free covenant-keeping members. And so yeah. if these slave laws are kept, the Gentiles who convert become covenant members. Uh, the, the criminals mm-hmm. learn to restore their debts and not commit crimes anymore because it's bad to be a slave. So I would rather not do the thing that makes yeah. me a slave. <laughs> and the people who take out loans um, are enabled to uh, to be financially stable on their own. Um with also having paid back their debts uh, yeah. and and are and become those who are generous rather than those who are um, in need, and so the whole thing is to train, prepare in various ways, making people into free covenant keeping Israelites. And so, if again these laws were kept perfectly, they would they would cease to exist. Um, yeah, and uh, and I think that's a good thing. So it's a more the Hebrew slave laws are a more just justice system that exists for the ab- uh, for the uh, the the eventual abolition of slavery um, mm. if they are kept perfectly. Um, Want to talk about the gospel? Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a gospel big fan. fan. Yeah, I, so, I support. <laughs> if we it. look, um, if we look at these laws, they outline exactly what Christ does for us in the gospel. When I talk about this stuff with my students and I talk about, well, one of the ways you become a slave is that you sell yourself into slavery. They all like rage because like, who would do that? First of all, you've never been in a place of such poverty that you, that you would consider that, but also you do that. Each of us has sold ourselves into slavery to sin. Uh, the Gospel of John says that anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Paul says, yeah. we ourselves were once slaves to various passions and pleasures, uh, passing our days in malice and envy. Uh, the Bible talks about our relationship with sin as deadness and slavery, and we willfully perpetuate our enslavement. We are like the Israelites who, wandering in the wilderness, say... I want to go back to slavery because even though wanting slavery sounds ridiculous, Israel wanted what they wanted. We want the sin that we want, even though we're enslaved to it. Like the like the the meth addict who um, who's a, who's addicted to meth. <laughs> redundant, um, <laughs> not a thing to laugh at, but I'm stupid and redundant. Um, yeah. They they want the thing that they are mentally and psychologically enslaved to even though they know it is for their bad we want sin because we're enslaved to it the israelites wanted the easy life in egypt that where they had leeks and other vegetables um (laughs) i always think of that specific verse yeah it's so funny um and so they want their slavery in our sin we are like the israelites we desire slavery even though it is uh, even though it is wrong for us, it is bad. To, it, slavery is not a thing to be desired. Um, yeah. And so we we are like the Gentile slave. We are enslaved to our sin 
because we want slavery. We have sold ourselves to a cruel master, sin. Uh, and, and Jesus Christ comes like according to the slave laws of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and he takes us who are foreigners, Gentiles to the people of God, and, and, and we are enslaved. And Christ, by his life, death, and resurrection, he pays the price to liberate us. He redeems us. Redemption, uh, what Boaz does, what other kinds of kinsmen redeeming is, is somebody paying the price so that um, the slave would be freed. We didn't talk about this really, but if you were a criminal or a bond servant, um, your family member could pay what you owe so that you didn't have to be enslaved. That's what mm. redemption, that's one of the things that redemption is. And Christ takes us, Gentiles, foreigners, slaves, and by his life, death, and resurrection, pays the price to liberate us. But not only does Christ liberate us, when we are freed by Christ who pays the price for us, uh, liberating us from the slavery to sin that that is ours by our will and nature, um, he also adopts us into the family of God, and he gives us an inheritance in the promised land, not just the promised land of Israel, but the true promised land, um, the, the true promised land of the new heavens and new earth. Uh, God takes mm-hmm. us, uh, Jesus takes us foreigners, and he makes uh, and slaves, and he frees us, and he makes us sons of God, inheritors of the kingdom of God. Uh, what Israel ma- Israelite masters did to their Gentile slaves in Israel, or should have done according to their laws, yeah. um, is exactly what Christ does for us. Foreigners made Israelites, slaves made free, not children made into children. Uh, the, the gospel is outlined exactly in the laws uh, of uh, of the Old Testament slave system. Yeah. And yeah, just to clarify, not children, you meant like the category of someone who is not the, a child is made into a child. Just to just to clarify. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Um, I was like, what? And then I understood. Yeah. Those who are not children of God are made into the children of God. Yeah. 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 No, this um, is this is good though. I think this um, is really helpful. I think it's uh, yeah, it's uh, the gospels everywhere. Jesus was not exaggerating when he said all of this was written to fulfill or I have uh, all this was written about me. And super <laughs> I and I've come to fulfill all of the law. Super super quick just cuz you know, kinsman redeemer. Um this certainly has some overlap with Ruth. Um you know, the book of Ruth and the Old Testament. And I'm I guess I I'm not so let's see. Let me let me think here. Ruth is perhaps made some sort of bond servant. Or maybe that's not what but in It's a little bit different kind of redemption. Yeah. The the redemption laws are for slavery, but they're for other things as yeah. well. Man. All right. Well, I'm getting carried away. I'll think of something related to that at some point here and I'll report back. Okay. <laughs> right. So um the other thing is is uh how how ought we apply these laws today? Uh because what, what, if we look at the New Testament, um, slavery is not past, present, or future, how things ought to be. The Old Testament slave laws existed for their own abolition. If they were kept, they would cease to exist. Post the coming of, uh, post the coming of Christ, we are not, um, a, a, the people of God is not synonymous with a nation, a geopolitical nation. Mm. And so we do not follow every law as they did. We follow them according to what kind of laws they are. And the gospel, where the gospel goes, slavery ought to end. And we see that in the New Testament. And so those are the two things we want to look at is one, if we are not to follow each law in the same way that Israel did, how are we to follow these laws? And what does, how does the gospel change 
um, how does how does the New Testament talk about slavery? And so I'll do the first one and let John do the next one. Yeah. The first thing is that uh, these laws are civil laws. They govern the governance of the 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 nation of Israel as a geopolitical entity. Um, and so we are not supposed to follow them today uh, in the same way that we are not supposed to require everyone to have a fence on their roof or whatever. But we are supposed supposed to follow them in principle. We are lowercase t theonomists, not capital T theonomists. Um, it's wrong to reinstitute the Mosaic laws, the law of the land, but it is always good and always just and ought to govern us in principle and how we live. And what that means in terms of the slave laws is not that we seek to re-implement Mosaic slavery, but that we use the laws and the principles of the Mosaic slave law to govern and instruct our justice system to make it more just. This means that criminals should not be locked up for exorbitant amounts of time for crimes that are nonviolent, wherein their imprisonment does not restore to the person who is ta- who has harmed what was lost, and it doesn't allow for the person who is a criminal to be restored to society justly. Uh, but instead, our justice system should have the wronged, the, 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 the criminal pay back what is owed to who it was taken from. And as soon as debt is repaid, that criminal ought to be brought back in and restored to society, being treated equally because their crime has been dealt with finally. And, and, and it teaches us also how to pay back debts that we should not seek uh, to wring money out of our debtors, uh, but we should seek their restoration to financial stability in the way that we both loan out money and um, receive payback from that loan. Um, and so they, they govern how we, these laws govern how we ought to justly deal with criminals and deal with people who are in need of taking out loans um, and how we uh, should uh, be treated if we commit crimes and if we ourselves need to take out loans. And so they should instruct the justice systems of our society where we are guided to make things more just uh, and and things uh, more that facilitate more the the restoration of people into society, um, whether that be uh, following crimes or um, following debt, uh, and so they very much apply. But but in terms of guiding our 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 pursuit of justice, uh, and then the yeah. So then New Testament, like Philemon, is a big yeah. Thing. I, I mean, to be honest, we could probably do nearly a full episode if we wanted to on new testaments like how the new testament handles slavery as well but in you know super brief um people sometimes get you know paul has a few points where he mentions like servants obey your masters and in this way you will there's often this sense of like bringing them to god you'll shame them for their sin there's these different elements um and so you know people read these and they think like oh so is is Paul uh, is Paul encouraging slavery because he's telling these slaves to obey their masters? Um, what I would say is, and like you said, Josh, I think Philemon is a is a great like sort of case study in this. Where um, if if you don't know, basically the story, the book of Philemon is a one chapter book that Paul wrote in which it says that um, Paul is writing to Philemon seemingly about a slave of his that. Uh, has escaped or left him or something like that. Paul is sending this letter to Philemon 
um, basically exhorting him to accept Onesimus, the the slave who who left not as a servant um, necessarily, but as a brother in Christ. And Paul kind of <laughs> Paul even sort of plays some like he does he Paul doesn't like strong arm him at all, but he does. Um, he is basically like remember how I took care of you and brought you to the faith. Take care of my brother Onesimus. And yeah. what's clear is that Paul is, um, he's not totally like dismantling and undermining the whole slave system of the, the Roman world, but what he, or he's not like rebelling against is what I mean, but he is. Right. Yeah. The gospel is not a revolutionary yeah. tool. Take up arms. Um, yeah. It, it works slowly through a people like yeast and dough, but it does work through. And as it works through, it changes that world, that society. Um, and yeah. yeah, keep going. And, but yeah, so basically Paul is, is, is undermining the, the dynamic of slavery here by, he's not saying like Onesimus, get back in line. You know, what are you doing? He's saying uh, Philemon, accept Onesimus as a brother in Christ more so than as a, servant whom you're the master of. And and this is the idea that we see throughout Christianity. It levels the playing field where everyone from the richest to the poorest is in need of Christ and is therefore seen as, you know, an equal brother in Christ. And so it is yeah. it is by definition undermining and subverting uh the slavery that you see in the ancient world. And and even, you know, even some of the passages about like you know the slave whose master is not a believer which is which is tough and paul basically encourages the slave to um remain a slave yeah remain a slave obey them obey your master and serve him well there seems to even be an implication there that like in doing so you will bring them to god um to to a saving faith hopefully themselves and yeah because your your faithfulness is a testimony that while i am not free on this earth um, I am more free because I have been liberated from my slavery to sin and death. And, and, and I am, while I may not be a citizen here, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that is far better than to be a free citizen here. And so your um, faithfulness is testimony to your owner of the supremacy of Christ and belonging to him. Um, and so we are not to be yeah. revolutionaries, but to revolutionize through the gospel. Yeah. And so, like 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 Josh was saying about the Old Testament, with the uh, the slave system is is designed there to kind of fall away, fall away, and be uh, you know become nothing. Similarly, in the New Testament, the uh, the slave system is slowly and progressively undermined to the point that it's inevitably going to be useless. For surely, no, you know. Whilst you know Paul's writing in the time where slavery does exist, and so he's not the cruelest form of slavery probably seen in history. Yes, the, the Roman Empire. Yeah, so he's yeah. and it's pervasive, and so he's not just like fight back or something like that. He's he's just encouraging to live the Christian life even amid slavery, amidst slavery, and for Christians to realize that slavery itself is it it doesn't work too well when right. you realize that your slave is your equal brother in Christ before God. And so, yeah. yeah. As the yeast of the gospel works through the dough of the church, slavery is ended in the same way that as the old Testament slave laws, um, 
do what they are designed to do. They they bring about their own abolition um, because there would be no more slaves. Yeah. <laughs> if people kept the law. Yeah. Um. So cool. Sweet. So shall we summarize and close? Yeah, let's do it. This is a huge episode. Cool. <laughs> it is. I think it won't be as long as it says right now because of the opening, yeah. but it is still huge. Um. Old Testament slave laws uh, exist for God to govern his people, the people of Israel. They are just, and they're basically a more just justice system. Um, they uh, they govern how four different types of uh, slavery may exist, uh, that you may become a slave um, by being conquered, uh, uh, selling yourself as a slave, committing a crime, or defaulting on various kinds of loan, uh, and that you are treated at worst as an adult uh, as a children with the rights of an uh, as an adult with the rights of a child, um, and at best as a hired hand and an employee, um, each of these has a termination date. Uh, whether it be um, the Gentile upon his conversion becoming free in the year of jubilee, um, without conversion they could remain slaves forever, um, or the the other slaves being freed when their when their debt is paid or when their crime is paid for, um, there is freedom. All of them may are made to to cultivate in each a both desire and ability to be free covenant-keeping people of Israel. Um, and all of these laws point to the gospel, wherein Christ takes us who are foreigners and slaves, and he frees us, uh, and he makes us children of the of the living God, inheritors of the kingdom of God, um, which points to the gospel, uh, which is the gospel, which points to the gospel's effect on the world that... Um, works through the people as they are changed by christ to live more in line with god's design for what the world ought to be like um, and so we ought to look at these laws uh, see the justice of the past be corrected in our implementation implementation of justice today and be ever driven to christ in the gospel who saves us uh, poor and sorry sinners making us his children and inheritors of his kingdom with him the end the end boom nicely done cool um let's quickest wrap up ever thanks for tuning in uh instagram at catechize pod comment like subscribe <laughs> thumbs up review uh emails questions concerns to catechize at gmail.com share with friend family or stranger uh thank you for tuning in we'll talk to you next week happy great thanksgiving or have had a great thanksgiving <laughs> <Yes>. catechize <laughs> your kids goodbye yep, bye-bye